Welcome to Insights into Success, where with your host Paul Dodds, we hope to educate, inspire and motivate you to achieve your own personal success. We talk to guests from all around the world from a variety of walks of life to hear the realities of their own journey to success. What challenges have they faced, how they cope with failure and what have been the keys or will be the keys to their own success. In our Read to Succeed interviews, we talk books that have inspired our guests, and for some, they share their secrets to marketing success. Join us as we give you insights into success. All right, so Jeremy, welcome to Insights into Success. Really excited to have you on board today. You've got an interesting story to tell us, and just for people listening out there, just to summarize, you're a CEO of Command Your Brand, you're a podcast host. You're a former powerlifting champion, which I'm particularly interested in. And you've been, yeah, look at it, the guns. <laughs> and Oxford University graduate as well. So welcome. Uh, really yeah. excited to have you here. And I'm just wondering if you could start off by sort of describing to me what your personality is like, you know, because I kind of want to understand a little bit more about, you know, who you are and what makes you tick. Um, gosh, what is my personality like? I am... Uh... I guess the easy way to put it is stupidly persistent. Um, like I will like, you know, keep going until that wall breaks. Um, another yeah. thing is I'm a, a bit of a wise ass, just a little bit. Um, I, I always love a good joke. I uh, love a good comedy movie. And, uh, yeah. you know, I'm somebody that really enjoys time with my family. Um, I have I've been married since 2015. I have two great daughters. And, uh, you know, yeah. that's I guess how I would describe my personality. Wow, cool. And so for you, what I would like to understand is... What you were like in your early years and included in that, you know, as a preteen, you know, sort of what were your interests around that time? Hmm. Like for me, um, I've always been like, I guess, naturally an introvert. Like I had to learn to be an extrovert. So I've always been somebody that was naturally an introvert. So um, in my teenage years, um, I was building a lot of things. Like my dad was an engineer. So I was always yeah. like building things, whether it was like with erector sets or with Legos or whatever it may be. Like I built a four foot long uh, scale model of the Titanic. That was that was kind of fun. Wow. Um, and, and it did sink when I put it in my, my swimming pool. Um, so <laughs> I, I was always doing things like that. I was always um, interested in learning. I would watch these History Channel specials about, you know, um, Greeks and Romans and, and things like that. And I, I was I was reading a lot as well. Um, I was, I started reading Tom Clancy books at like 11, like the hunt for red October was one of the first books that I don't know if you should give to an 11 year old, but I definitely read that. So I've, <laughs> I've always been somebody that's been interested. I've always considered myself uh, like a seeker in a lot of ways. Um, and I was pretty introverted, man. Like I didn't hang out with a ton of people. Um, I was decently athletic, but I wasn't super athletic until after school. Yeah. Um, but you know, that that's, I was, I guess, pretty nerdy in a lot of ways. So it's interesting you say about being introverted because, I mean, the first thing when you come on is like, you know, you've got a great personality and really positive in that. So the last thing I, I would think is, like, oh, gosh, this guy's quite naturally introverted. I guess it. Well, but it's well, interesting. I, I, I like I'm somebody that I like a long project and preferably like with the door closed and all that kind of stuff. It's like, I don't know. I feel like you can like people, but at the same time, be very into like routines and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so just off recording before you were saying about your upbringing, that you were brought up in the New Jersey area. Can you mm -hmm. kind of give us a little bit more of a, a picture of what that looked like? 
So it's very like rural around here. Um, I think when people think of New Jersey, they think of like cities, they think of, oh, it's close to New York. And for, for me, that was never really my reality. I didn't go to New York City other than to go to a Yankee game, like maybe once a year, like that wasn't really a lot of what I did. Where, where, I, where I'm from, there's more cows than people. And there's a lot of farms and things like that. I remember as a, as a teenager, my dad was really good friends with a local farmer. And I actually would spend the weekends like planting green beans and weeding and things like that. So my picture of New Jersey and what a lot of people think New Jersey is, is, is two very different things. It's very rural, uh, you know, farming type experience. And if you don't have a car, you're not getting anywhere because there is no like mass transit or anything out here. Right. And so tell me, like living in the country, did that encourage you any way to, you know, develop your imagination and sort of entertain yourself more, do you think? Or were you still sort of into, I don't know, online gaming and that sort of stuff? I mean, did it have any bearing, do you think, on your, on your you know, development? I don't know about like online gaming because literally like we had dial up internet until I was a sophomore in high school. So like the online gaming wasn't really a thing like you were like forced yeah. to to really entertain yourself so it was a lot of going outside it was a lot of um like i played baseball for hours and hours and hours with you know the kids on my street and stuff like that so it was a lot of stuff like that it was a lot of like yeah. you know like sandlot baseball games and stuff like that it was a lot of fun we used to play uh we used to play baseball with aluminum bat and a tennis ball now that was fun man you could hit a ball a long way doing that <laughs> long way, um, yeah. oh my gosh yeah but like that's what a lot of mine was it was like neighborhood kids and, and stuff like that it wasn't really like online gaming wasn't really a thing you know because i'm in, I'm in my, yeah. my mid-30s now so i'm kind of in that cutoff yeah. where that really wasn't around when i was younger yeah but so for you though do you think that being in the country do you think that that kind of did encourage you to develop your your creative side your, your imagination more you had to kind of entertain yourself more as opposed to being in a city maybe where there's a lot more things going on around you i would definitely think so because you know i had to create a lot of my own fun um you know we it's i remember we lived where we lived there was a lot of woods behind our house and yeah. uh my my buddies and i growing up we used to like you know dress up in full military fatigues and we do all this like wild stuff out in the woods and stuff like that you can't do that in a city right like number one no. you may get arrested because they'd be a little concerned you're in fatigues uh but number <laughs> two like you know you really have to be forced to have your imagination we built a lot of stuff um you know we built uh like we built, uh, I remember building these like soapbox derby cars, but we covered them like sheet metal. So they looked like actual cars. Like we did a lot of stuff like that. And wow. I just don't think you have the ability to do that kind of stuff in the, in the, you know, in, in a city and, and, and things like that. So for me, it really made me work my imagination a lot more. Yeah. And I mean, the reason I'm sort of talking about it is because I do believe firmly that it's important that people develop their creative side. And if you are in a sort of a built up environment, I just kind of wonder whether for some people that will inhibit their ability to develop that side. Whereas I, I lived in the country too, and you had to make your own entertainment. So you really had to be creative and, and use your imagination and stuff, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, that. And also, like, I think I learned the, the value of hard work as well. Because yeah. you you learn about like, you know, my my dad had a huge garden every year. So, you know, we'd spend, you know, three or four weekends at the beginning of the summer, getting it ready for, for all the tomatoes and stuff like that. And, you know, rototilling and making sure it was weeded every few weeks. And, you know, I was expected to cut the lawn every week. And, you know, I hated the trimming part because, you know, doing trimming just stinks because it takes forever and the weed whacker would always break. So I just, for me, it was a lot of also learning the value of hard work. And I, I, 
I, I don't think those things, because they're not available to you in the city, you don't get that same type of appreciation. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. I definitely know what you mean. So as a young teenager, you know, what would you describe were your interests? And kind of at that point, where were you thinking you were going to go with your career when you grew up? At that point in time, I thought I was going to be a college professor. That was really what I thought I was going to going to do with my life. And if I had to describe myself then, like I really wasn't into to weightlifting and like that. That wasn't until after high school. Yeah. And um, I was a, a wrestler. So I, I was wrestling was really the big thing that I did. It was it was, you know, that and, you know, thinking I was going to be a teacher. Um, that, that was really what I thought I was going to do with my life. I started out there, um, but it ended up being very, very different than where I ended up. And so tell me, I'm really interested to hear about how you said you're into wrestling and then you moved on to powerlifting. Tell mm -hmm. me how about that part of your journey. How did that come about and what level of success have you achieved in that area? So interestingly enough, like the 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 powerlifting stuff came out really because so I was a wrestler in the 140 pound class. Um, so that's a, you know, it's a relatively small class and it's a pretty it's a pretty stacked one, right? Because a lot of guys are around 140 pounds when you're in high school. So it's, you have to compete right. against a lot of people. So at the same time, in order to stay that weight, I developed a lot of really unhealthy habits, frankly. And, you know, it was, um, you know, overeating, you know, and then throwing up or, you know, undereating or, you know, running around in garbage bags, makes you're sweating it out. So like, frankly, right. my, my, health experience wasn't very good in order to stay quote unquote healthy in order to wrestle. So for yeah. me, you know, the whole weightlifting thing really just started as taking better care of myself. And I'm right. somebody that really enjoys competition. So when I saw that I could, you know, continue to, to up the numbers and get better and get better and get better that there, that motivating thing activated, right. Where I wanted to get better every single week. Cause I, for myself, the biggest way I got strong was something I call linear progression. If you can get five pounds stronger every week, that's how I went from barely being able to bench a bar to benching 455. Yeah. So for me, it was taking care of myself better and then it became fun and it became something like I really just got addicted to it. It was a great experience and a, and a, and a lot of fun. And um, in competition, um, they do what's called the big three. The big three are bench press, squat and deadlift. And, right. um, in in my, my career best doing that is I benched 455 for a single um, I squatted uh, 705 and I, I uh, deadlifted 635. Um, I wow. also did some like some some weird ones too. Like I uh, pulled an army tank for the Wounded Warrior Project. That's about 80,000 pounds. <laughs> so they wow. put it on the they put it on the back of an 18 wheeler. They put it in neutral, and then you got to pull it 12 feet, um, which I managed to do as well. But uh, you know, I've I've had a lot of fun doing that stuff, man. It, I think some of it reminded me of the competition of wrestling, and you know, I really got there because I was trying to take better care of myself. And, and in terms of those numbers, the big numbers, where did that place you, though? Did you, like, you obviously entered some competitions. And at what level did you get to in competitions? So I did a lot of, like, like natural type stuff, which um, a lot of the bigger competitions aren't tested as much. So it was more, like, regional things like that. It wasn't, like, you know, right. it wasn't, like, a national champion or anything like that. But I was one of the stronger people in my weight class because um, yeah. I was only five foot seven, and, you know, 180 pounds, 190 pounds. So like my, you know, weight to what I was lifting ratio was pretty darn good. So I was one of yeah. the top competitors in my class regionally. And what, if anything, do you think, you know, that has impacted on the rest of your life? Is, is there elements to what was required to be good at powerlifting that have kind of influenced you in the rest of your life? 
I'd say it's really two things. It's consistency is the really big thing yeah. because a lot of people want to see these huge jumps and gains and things like that. And I think when you first start lifting, you're going to see a lot of those early on, right? You're going to see some early gains because your body's never done it before. And then the yeah. gains are very slow and consistent and you have to be showing up year, you know, day after day, year after year. So one part of it's consistency. The other part's mindset, man. Like I, you, when you've done things like that enough, you can, you can look at them and be like, Oh, I can lift that. That's not a problem. Or, you know, I can give that a shot. That's not a problem. And I've taken that mindset into a lot of other things that I've done. Um, it, it's very, very interesting. I find the more people I talk to that are, you know, like high level, you know, competitors, business people for them, one of their core competencies is their fitness. And when, when you have a really great fitness routine, it gets you mentally in the right state to do a lot of things you're doing. So for me, that's always, it's a thing I still do to this day, you know, yeah. not at the level I did, you know, I was, a, I got up to two, two, 215 pounds at my most. And now I'm like 165 just cause I want to fit normal human being clothes. Um, yeah. but really that consistency and the mindset are the two biggest things. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. You, you talk about that. Cause I, you know, I mean, I, for me, I'm going to the gym is really important. And I think mm. for me, it's, it's both a physical and a mental thing. Um, I think mentally it's really good because it, you can go there to the gym and turn off all the noise and just focus on doing that. So it gives you time out. Like you might be having a really challenging time, mm-hmm. but you can go to the gym and just put that to the side and just focus on what you're doing. And I find that really therapeutic. The other thing for me is much like you is I, I believe that going to the gym and that it teaches you discipline, it teaches you consistency, uh, helps to build your determination. I think all good qualities that are going to help you in, in other aspects of your life. So for me, I think doing what you've done is is an integral part of potentially your success in other elements of your life. I think as well, it's also where you have it in your day that matters too. Like for me, having it early in the day you yeah. get a win to start the day off, right? Like, and that's a pretty easy win to just go to the gym and have a great workout. Like that's a pretty easy win compared to a lot of stuff you deal with all day. So I think yeah. as well, if you can start your day out with a win, um, you have a lot more successful day because, you know, you didn't start out with a failure or something like that. So when, what time would you go to the gym in the morning then? So it, it's usually like 7.30. It's not like it's crazy right. early because, you know, for the type of workouts I'm doing, my body won't function the way I need it to earlier than that. Like I've tried to, man, but then you get like a headache that won't go away all day. So, uh, <laughs> so, and we, and we don't want that. So no. for me, it's like my body doesn't really function uh, to do the type of lifting I'm doing before, you know, seven thirty, eight eight o'clock in the morning. Um, I'll, yeah. I'll go through emails and things like that, you know, earlier than that, but I won't do any physical work before that time. Right. And then just what's, the, what's the rest of your day? Like how long do you normally work each day? How many hours do you put in? Every day is a little bit different, but I'd, I'd have to say a lot of times um, my my mid afternoons are, are pretty like low, and that's when I can do stuff with the family, do whatever it may be. And then sometimes I end up doing um, interviews and stuff at night, depending on what people's schedule are is. But I do for my own podcast most of that's done during the day, and most of my my calls and meetings and stuff are during the day. But I, I tend to find that between two and five in the afternoon, I usually don't have as much going on, and that's when we can fit in some family stuff uh, with girls and things. And so do you feel that you've got enough time in the day? And and to add on to that question, um, what's your secret to it? Feeling like you can get through enough in the day. It's interesting because I feel like um, one of the biggest things I've done at, at my company is every time I feel like I'm overworked, it means I'm wearing too many hats. So I write up one of the ones I'm wearing and hire somebody else to do it. And I'm starting to get to one of those spots again where 
you know, we have a book launch coming in June. Um, you know, the podcast is growing, the company's growing. And I'm, I'm, you know, basically right now, I'd say I'm at the the max of what I can do again, and it's time to hire again. It's, it's interesting, because I do like to put a lot of those positions there myself. So so right now, I am starting to feel like I guess on the edge of what I can handle, and it's time to hire again, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to come back to your podcast. I want to talk yeah. about that. Before that, I want to hear a little bit more about your study. And if you could tell us a little bit about what you study university and, and how you ended up going to Oxford University. So I, I did my uh, undergrad degree um, in uh, Catholic theology and uh, and uh, wow. religious studies. I was a double major. I did I did uh, one side was ca- was Catholic studies and the other side was uh, was Judaism. Um, I just very, wow. I've always been very interested in, in religion and what makes us who we are and, and where we come from and things like that. Yeah. Um, and then I actually ended up doing um, a program at at a uh, uh, New College Oxford, and I ended up going to a few different, you know, universities within that system because Oxford isn't one school; it's a bunch of different schools. Yeah. And uh, that was for um, for a literature program. So I studied a lot of work of of Chesterton, a lot of work of Lewis, um, and, and things like that. And I actually got a chance um, to go hang out at uh, C.S. Lewis's estate. I became really good friends with uh, with Walter Hooper, who was the gentleman that runs. Uh, C.S. Lewis's estate, so that was pretty cool to get it. And wow. and you know we were still exchanging letters and stuff up till a few years ago. Um, so it, that that was a pretty cool experience. And so after that, I actually came back and to, to the U.S. and I did my my master's in ancient history. Um, I studied early Roman Empire propaganda. So I took a look at how the Roman emperor convinced people he was God. There were specific tools he used used and a, and a plan he followed. Um, basically, the the life of Alexander the Great on, on how to do it the right way. Well, that'll be interesting and interesting to <laughs> then compare it to the context of today and yeah. the propaganda out there today. And dude, it's wild. I, I feel like I don't know what, what news is real and what news is fake anymore. <laughs> oh no, it's crazy, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Oh, interesting stuff. So at that point in time, you were planning on becoming an academic, carrying on, and maybe getting yeah. a position at a university. Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel like, and I, I don't know if this is how a lot of us grow up, but I feel like I, I grabbed the dreams of my parents as well. My, my mom and dad were both high school graduates that, you know, were really, my dad was a really great athlete. He, he wanted to play professional baseball, but, you know, didn't really get super far in that before he ended up actually having to get a, a factory job. And yeah. uh, my, my mom intended to go to school to be an architect and she'd actually gotten a, a full scholarship, but then her, her dad passed away her senior year and she had to raise her brother. So for them, wow. like, I think I picked up one of their goals, which was just to, to go to college and to, to, you know, teach in that area. And yeah. it wasn't until I kind of explored more of what I wanted to do that I found out that wasn't really a fit for me, but I didn't really take a strong swing at it. And I think if something really was your dream, you would take a really strong swing at it, right? You like, you would refuse to give up. You would do whatever you had to do to make it work. So basically I got done with my master's degree. I applied to uh, NYU, which was the one school I applied to for my PhD. I didn't get into that program and that was it. Like I didn't try to go any further with it. So I I think, was that really my dream? I would have pursued it. I would have done whatever I needed to do. I would have called people. I would have connected and I I just didn't. And it was from there actually ended up teaching high school. Uh, for a couple of years after that. And it was just, for oh, me, wow. I was not happy doing it. Right. So what changed then? So you, you taught at high school for a little while. And what yeah. happened next? So I came out of school in 2011 and uh, what was not a great economy, which is funny to say, because I think the dollars lost like 25% of its value in what it was in 2011. Um, but there weren't a lot of people hiring 
at that point in time. So I actually ended up painting houses during the day. And I worked with a house painter that like did everything old school. So everything's by hand. You used a scraper. Yeah. You we were doing these old like Victorian type homes that like, you know, they took four different colors and things like that. And then at night, I was the nighttime manager at a gym. So I was working like 16, 17 hours a day. Wow. And um, I happened to run into a, a priest friend of the family that said, hey, the, the, the private school I used to teach at is looking for teachers. You don't need any okay. formal background or training. You know, you just apply for the job and hope you get it. So I ended up doing that. And I had no classroom management skills. I didn't have an education yeah. background. I was purely an academic. So they like they had me for lunch, man, like literally because, yeah. you know, you see me now I'm in my mid 30s, like you can imagine how young I looked at 24. So yeah. I, I looked like I was a junior in high school. So it just it did not really go well from that perspective. And I really wasn't ready for the whole smartphone thing yet either. So like their whole day was trying to get me angry and then get me on YouTube. And that was <laughs> that was my day. And then and th so so I just wasn't very happy going to work every day. And then when I yeah. was 25. Uh, my mom ended up having a really bad stroke and it made me look at everything I'm doing and be like, well, is this really my dream? Is this really what I yeah. want to do? And I didn't know what my own dream was, but I was willing to go out and find it. And 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 that really was where it went from there. Yeah. So tell me about that. So from what I understand, you kind of really, you know, tried a lot of different things mm -hmm. before you kind of found your niche. So I kind of like to understand a little bit more about that process and how that came yeah. about. And also, too, I know, and I want to hear a bit about this, that you had some surgery. We actually had a near-death experience. So yeah. I kind of want to understand where that fitted it into the equation or whether or not that had any sort of fundamental impact on where you've ended up coming to now. It's interesting because I feel like when people tell you about a near-death experience, they tell you about like how their life changed and knew their purpose and how like, you know, the skies opened yeah. up and things like that. And it just, that wasn't really the case for me. It was, it was a really right. weird experience though. Like, I, um, it, I, I had a uh, knee surgery on my, on my left knee, but the anesthesia didn't go well. And I don't quite know what happened, but they couldn't get my blood oxygen level up. So for like almost four days, I was in and out of consciousness so often that it just kind of felt like one, one like long event, which is really hard to describe. And, you know, you're aware and you're, you're, you're there and you're aware, but you're not interacting or engaging with people or anything like that. Yeah. And it just like, you can feel emotions, you can hear voices, you can see things. And it's just, it's just, it's really odd, man. And I just remember my parents being really upset because I remember the doctor saying like, I don't know, we don't know what's happening. We don't know why it's happening, um, but we can't get his oxygen level up where we, you know, think he's going to be okay. And they yeah. actually brought in a priest and, and, and gave me last rites at that point in time. And that's my body started breathing on its own and we can't really explain what happened. But the, the crazy part about it is like, it didn't change my life. It was right. just this experience that I feel like it should have changed my life. Right. It should have yeah. made this big difference. It should have made yeah. me look and it didn't. And the, the thing that actually did it for me was when I almost lost my mom. And I think, I don't know, it's, I think it's because it was something outside of myself, you know, and, and you look at it and it's, it's more real to you because it's not you. And you look at it and you're yeah. like, wow, yeah, th this could end, this could change. So that really made me look for something more. Um, I, I, it didn't happen after this, after, you know, having this near death experience myself, which in itself was a wild experience, but it, it just, it didn't change for me. Um, it did show me, um, you know, a lot about who friends were because I was kind of shocked that people that I thought were my really good friends didn't even come and visit me. Um, oh, they hadn't, oh. heard from me in, hadn't heard from me in three days. So it taught yeah. me a lot about like, um, a lot about people. But at the same time, it didn't teach me, you know, the lesson I thought I should have learned from, which I did learn from almost losing a parent.
Yeah, it's interesting. I kind of I get with what you're saying though that like when it's yourself, uh, the the event probably was kind of a bit surreal and hard to yeah. really take it in. But when you're seeing someone you care about it happening to them, that's very confronting. It's very much in your face. So yeah, it, I get it was like watching a movie. Like I almost couldn't process mm. it. Do you know what I mean? Like because you're just yeah. like you feel like you're there, you're observing, and you're you're watching it. It's really hard to explain. Yeah. So okay, so. You've been doing some painting and stuff and, and that. Where did you go from there? So I, I taught school for, for two years and then uh, my mom had a stroke in, in 2012 and my, it didn't really like take an effect until 2013. Do you know what I mean? Because you kind of get like shocked. You get woken up a little bit and you're like, all right, well, what does it mean? Where do I go from here? What happens? And in 2013, my, my wife, who at that point in time was my fiance, was presented with a, with a network marketing opportunity. I didn't know what that was. So like, she's like, Oh, you got to watch this thing. So I watched this presentation. I'm like, we're going to be millionaires like next week. This is gonna be awesome. Um, so I'm just like, I just gotta, just gotta go find me two people, man. And it's over. Um, needless to say that didn't happen, but it was one of the best training experiences I've ever had in like, you know, running a business because when you have yeah. no experience, you really have to learn it through the school of hard knocks. And I think that really is yeah. the, the, it's the school of hard knocks. It's really what it is. And I did that for a couple of years. I then went to selling life insurance, which I was really darn good at. And I, I, you know, I made a hundred phone calls a day and I, you know, I went on house calls and stuff like that. But to me, the experience of talking about death all the time was just really difficult on me, like mentally and emotionally. It just doesn't yep. put you in a good space. And it really takes a special type of person to do that. And I, I wasn't that special type of person. You know what I mean? Like for me, it just, it wasn't right. And I ended up doing that for, I think, about six or eight months, and I made some really darn good money, and I made more than those six or eight months than I had made in the previous year and a half, wow. um, but I just was not happy doing it, and I actually then saw this webinar that you could like buy products from China and sell them on Amazon. I'm like, oh, cool, man. Yeah. I'm in, and I made the mistake of putting on my product listing on Amazon the promo code to get my product for a dollar. And somebody realized that and bought me out of everything I had in stock. And I was out of business in my first six hours. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> well, that was a lesson. That was a big lesson, man. It was a big lesson. You should proofread things. Um, yeah. so, that, so that was kind of the end of my like entrepreneurial career. And I, I didn't really know what to do at that point in time. Watch out for part two of this interview where Jeremy talks about his podcasting journey and what he believes are the secrets to success.